You are listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 113. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelan Levin and Claire Klingenberg as our guest hosts for this week. See ya, Stok. Всем привет! Добрый день. Ah, добрый день. Добрый день is Russian as well. Yeah, a little bit different pronunciation, but it's a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah, they're both Slavic languages. Right? Yep, true that. All right, welcome, Claire. Thank you. It's been a while. Uh, I hope I don't dis- disappoint your listeners. I know I'm not Pontus, but I'll try to do my best. I won't try to pretend I'm him because I won't work, but I'll try to do my best <laughs> as me. Yeah. Yeah, and there is one thing that we're not going to be doing. And that is a really wrong segment because it it just it would be just wrong, really wrong to do without without Pontus. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> you see what I did there? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm I've been wondering whether you have ever been on as a guest host or you've always always been a guest. I think once without. you were missing. You you couldn't uh, well you weren't missing but you weren't uh, available to to uh, do the recording okay. so I did it with Yelena and Pontus right I think so that could be the reason why I don't remember yeah because I wasn't there yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> now it makes sense I can't remember and I was there so you know it's all good <laughs> <laughs> okay no surprise here either oh, God I feel like I'm losing my my mind I'm, I'm only young. I don't want to lose my memory. But it is the first first moment for me to experience uh, being on this show with uh, an overwhelming majority of women. Hey, go girls yeah, power! Yeah, girl, girls power! Yeah, virtual virtual high five, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> right back at you. Yeah. Did you know that there there is a um, Women in Sca- Science and Skepticism Day? Did you know? Today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way! So that's a very appropriate pr- pr- thing, which is 22nd of February, isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's when we record. That's when we're recording. So do you actually um, celebrate that day? Well, I thought it was already two weeks ago, actually. Is it? No, I remember I posted about it. They, they had like, a, there's a Twitter handle, Women in Science, and they, 500 Women in Science, and they had like this uh, Twitter chain of a post like uh, women you admire or who have inspired you yeah it's sunday february 11th okay nice nice women in science international day of women and girls in science claire did you post somebody you admire well it's it was very hard to because there are so many incredible women um who've done something of course the first thing that comes to everyone's mind is marie curie but there's there have been many many more what about the women who are who are alive now well yeah i mean There are so many kick-ass uh, women in science uh, within our skeptical movement and outside of it. Um, I really love Sally LePage. Oh, yeah. Yes, she was so amazing at the QED. Uh, her talk was great. Um, fun and full of good information. Yeah. And I love following her on Twitter because she's so funny. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I can imagine, yeah. Bearing on her, her abilities as a scientist, but she's just an, an amazing person all in all, yeah. 
And that's what makes her a perfect science communicator because she's so good in uh, interaction and uh, yeah. public engagement. Yeah. Yeah. And she has a very cute personality as well. And, and, and that's very appealing to, to all the different types of audiences. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that there is a wide age range of uh, her audience as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, you know a little bit too much about fly penises at this point? <laughs> I know what yeah, you mean. She, yeah, she really is obsessed with it. But uh, I guess if you're passionate about what you do and you love your, your work, that's what you do. You kind of go to people, did you know, guys? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> and I can totally re relate to that kind of reaction. Maybe not being excited by fly penises, but I can see where she's coming from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it was a joke, of course. <laughs> no, no, but I know it was a joke, but I just like wanted to... Yeah. We should be doing video right now because uh, uh, the way Yelena did the interpretation of Settler Page, uh, that was that was amazing. <laughs> well, sorry, I didn't even realize. But um, I want to say who my one of my female heroes is and have been for a while actually. It's Ayan Hirsi Ali, and she's not science based, but she's very much out there fight, fighting good fights for all the women, and um, I'd say she contributed to skepticism in terms of fighting against horrendous practices in, in uh, religious religious practices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I support actually her foundation. Mm -hmm. Ayan Harsi Alifa Foundation, if anybody is interested to support. Mm -hmm. Plug that in. Yeah. I've got I've got two personal favorites. Go on. Uh, one of them is Ketani. Do you guys know who, who she is? New. She wrote uh, the re the recently wrote the book um, Herding Hemingway's Cats. Oh yes. And she's a geneticist. Uh -huh. When are we gonna have her in our show one day? I uh, yeah, but I still haven't finished her book. <laughs> and I the the part that I have read is amazing. It's really wonderful. I've um, listened to her talk about that topic, and and she was amazing. And uh, she is uh, one of the hosts of uh, the Naked Scientists as well, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And the other one is um, Carol Tavris. Yeah, yeah. I have heard of her. Ah, she was uh, there at QED last mm. year. Mm. She is one of the authors of the favorite books of mine. Yes, she was incredible. Yeah, yeah. And she she and co-wrote co-wrote the book. Mistakes, mistakes were made, were but, made not by me. but not by me. That's I right, love that book. Right. I really love that book. Actually, we we've got it. I still haven't read it, but we bought it for, on your suggestion, uh, Andres. Good, good, I good. Yeah, the, the, I really recommend reading the part of about the pyramid of choice. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh yeah. It's really enlightening when it comes to this debate in um, forming one's opinion and understanding how other people form theirs. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Anything to do with the way that the human brain works is fascinating. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think we all agree that, that there are lots of amazing women in science and skepticism and and Absolutely. that is huge. And you guys are not exceptions to that. Ah, you just saying that because you have to work with me all the time. <laughs> no, but I I do think that what both of you are doing on your own field is really important and it's very important um, not only for the whole community but for women in our community to have people as as examples of as good examples to follow i 
I think that's more important than you probably think. Thank you. We still haven't mentioned that Claire is the president of the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, which is quite a quite a thing that we should be advertising. <laughs> By the way, um, what's new around EXO? So I think, Andras, uh, you are you know as much as I do because you were at our last board meeting call. <laughs> I was, but it's uh, I think it's better for you to say than than for me. Okay. So um, we, of course, uh, have some exciting stuff planned. Uh, We're now currently uh, reworking our documents, which of course doesn't sound that exciting, but (laughs) to most people. What do you mean? (laughs) Uh, But no, it's actually really important to have um, the foundation of the organization grounded in contemporary thought and uh, documentation. So... Uh, we hope that creating this kind of our new kind of policy will draw in even more organizations than there now are as members, um, as well as we're planning these fact sheets on different uh, topics which are not controversial in the science world, but seem to be controversial in um, the public's eye. Mm-hmm. And we would love to have these done, uh, at least a couple of them by April 1st. And can can you just give us an example? Sure. So we're going to do one on GMOs, on vaccines, uh, on different types of uh, alternative medicine, or I am trying to create a term that Marit Simonsen came up with, pseudo-medicine. And uh, then maybe one on glyphosate. I'm sorry, glyphosate. I keep having trouble pronouncing that word. (laughs) (laughs) And I look forward on reading that fact sheet because I know absolutely nothing on that topic. Okay. These fact sheets will contain a basic description of what the thing is. It will uh, contain a couple of myths that are the most common ones that are circulating about this topic. Mm-hmm. And then uh, like about four or five facts or benefits of, uh, of whatever it is that we're talking about. So, for example, if it's going to be something, you know, that can be harmful, like like um, not vaccinating our children, of course, we're going to talk about how this has impacted us um, in Europe, uh, for example, the spread of different diseases that have been already eradicated. Uh, it's going to be something, um, you know, positive as I'm as try, uh, trying to explain benefits of GMOs. It's going to have facts containing what it has done so far. So that's kind of the point. And like I say, we're trying to get them done at least a couple of them by April 1st. So they're ready for the March for, for Science. So different countries have a chance to translate them. That's kind of the point also to have like a simple, make it simple enough to make it easily translatable and so they can be distributed uh, among different skeptic groups so we actually are behind the same message excellent and this that is probably the first real and really visible step towards um more of a of a working organiza- umbrella organization that that we want exo to become right yeah exactly yeah mm. i really like that and of course, now that we're rewriting the the constitution and everything of uh, EXO, do you think it should actually state our goal to reach uh, world domination? Or <laughs> I was considering it, and then you know I thought we should also thank all of our sponsors. We should have like a sheet with all of our sponsors, you know, like the Illuminati. Um, we should also uh, list. Uh, I'd like to bring in. I'd like to bring in George Soros. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And of course, NASA for paying us to say the Earth is round. You can't yeah, forget sure, that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. 
So we have to make sure we have all the sponsors right that we, that we don't forget about any of them because we don't want our funding to be cut, of course. So, mm. yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. Right. Let's do that. <laughs> all right. Since you are now a guest host on our show, I think uh, I'll later on I'll ask you to do a couple of uh, news items as well. Um, but He's making you work, <laughs> you have to work very hard when you're among us. But um, I suggest we start the actual show right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is always with uh, something that Yelena does when she sheds some light on something that ha- has happened this week in skepticism. Yes. I want to talk about something that happened on the 22nd of February, not so long ago, uh, on a relative historic scale, 2004. Uh, so that was uh, 14 years ago. Um, somebody called Brian Deere. Brian Deere. Um, who's oh, a Br- dear. Uh, yeah, who is a British journalist. <laughs> but w- So I, the reason why I want to talk about him, he's a British journalist and he's written a uh, investigation report that spanned across um, over eight years, which I think is pretty impressive. I think it's the longest investigation report out there. I don't think there's going to be many who will be able to match him. Uh, About uh, a scandal behind a certain health um, publication that we, well, I personally know a lot about. And uh, it's about a publication that Andrew Wakefield did by uh, publishing his uh, paper on linking MMR vaccine to autism. And so he published his first article on 22nd of February 2004, and uh, he's keep kept investigating and finished in um, 2012. Um, and over the course of these years, he's done a lot of thorough work around it. Uh, and as we know, Wakefield's article was uh, retracted. Um, he's been struck off the uh, medical registry, and he can't practice medicine anymore. And I'd imagine a lot of good information is out there because of this guy, because of this journalist that did a good job. Um, I'm a bit sad that regardless of this fact, Wakefield started something that still is going on in terms of anti-vaccination movement. Um, But we should take comfort in the fact that uh, there are people out there like... um, Brian uh, Deere, who who do do a, a good investigation, investigative job by reporting uh, real facts about stuff like that. Um, and I mean, to take it that far and spend eight years of his life doing this investigative work is, is amazing. And um, I'm personally very grateful to him. So there we go. Um, that's uh, that's all who I wanted to talk about today. Yeah, and uh, even though he did what he had to do, he could not undo what Wakefield had done. Unfortunately, once the cat is out of the box, or whatever you say, some, something out of somewhere, um, it just spreads. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Kevin was talking about it. I don't know if it was a cutie or psychon. She was saying that... Um, when there is a celebrity endorsement of pseudoscience, it has much more effect than a celebrity endorsement of uh, regular science. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, funny like that, isn't it? 
Yeah, I unfortunately wasn't prepared to back this claim up with anything. I will have to do some Googling, but... <laughs> don't, don't worry, Claire, we don't have to go far. We just have to refer to a website, Goop, and, uh, you know, that'll, that'll give us enough, which is the website that was set up by um, an actress... Gwyneth Paltrow? G- uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, yeah. who is has got no formal medical education. She's an actress, she's very famous, but that's the only thing she's got going in terms of that stuff and here she is advising people on medical things that will make you better or whatever or happier or yeah i use her actually as an example when i teach um critical thinking courses i use her as an example of appeal to authority uh the logical fallacy (laughs) yeah she's pretty and she's famous therefore she might be right Uh, she must be she must be right yeah oh what a joy being pretty and famous (laughs) yeah but uh, someone someone can just not stop there and enjoy being pretty and famous and being very famous for it, <laughs> uh, for being being famous for being famous. Um, although I have to admit that Gwyneth Paltrow is not famous for just the sake of it, because she's she's a, a pretty good actor. But uh, that doesn't mean that you can be a good advisor, a good health advisor. That that is something that you shouldn't forget. If you're a good doctor, you can be a good health advisor, but nothing else. Yeah, but you you will probably not <laughs> be a good actor if you're if you're a good doctor because well, that's that's a different talent that it requires. Oh, yeah, one skill. I mean, just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're going to be good at other stuff. I mean, I tried to color my own hair, and that was a <laughs> terrible thing, even though I'm quite good <laughs> at uh, helping my little brother with homework. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good example. All right. Thank you very much, Yelena. All right, pleasure. And let's turn on to news items for this week. And I'd like to start with something that is very well connected to the topic you just covered. Because there was a study published in the journal Intelligence um, in November 2017... Uh, about fake news and how, and, um, well, it was a deeper investigation into how people approach, um, cognitively approach um, uh, fake news and when they are debunked. And um, I think it's uh, it's pretty good that um, it resonates well with the, the, the very topic that you covered. Uh, so what they did, um, they first identified a group of uh, or, or used a group of uh, 390 people so it's it's quite a quite a large number of people for a, a psychological experiment and then uh, what they started with um, they first so they tested for two different things for first the cognitive abilities and th- those were based on uh, verbal uh, skills and uh, cognitive skills regarding uh, words and the meaning of words. And the other thing was a story that that was presented. So it, it was not necessarily, a, not, not a story itself, it was um, a person, like um, an explanation of the personality of this person called Nathalie. Um, Nathalie was a nurse and... and um, she was doing the the the, the everyday jobs uh, at, at the hospital, but after the general information about Natalie, there was an added paragraph for part of the group. So the control group did not get that paragraph, but the other group, the other part of the group, got the paragraph that said 
Natalie was arrested for stealing drugs from the hospital. She was uh, she has been stealing drugs for two years and selling them on the street in order to buy designer clothes. Well, then th- there were uh, control questions um, with regards to her personality. And then a new paragraph popped up that said the last paragraph was actually not true. That is That was uh, about the drugs and stealing drugs and that, that kind of stuff was totally untrue and the picture and the description of natalie that uh, the the um, participants were subsequently presented with the sh- same information was shown but the the evaluation that they gave about the personality was completely different and they wanted to find out whether there is a connection between their cognitive abilities and how they perceived the correction of the false false information that they had been presented uh, with in the first place. And they did find that, uh, I'm not going to go into uh, too much detail, but what they found was um, that, unfortunately, uh, how we perceive the false information and how open we are to the correction of those pieces of false information is highly dependent on our cognitive abilities and uh, how sophisticated our um, way of thinking is. And uh, there is a bit of a um, speculation as well with regards to how society deals with that kind of stuff. So it's not it's not surprising at all, this result. It's just something that, that has now been specifically shown to be true, that the the better your cognitive abilities the the more capable you are to actually accept the correction of a false information and obviously that will mean that the greatest number of people in the general public will not necessarily be able to distinguish false from true if even after uh, a thorough debunking has been done so that is quite depressing <laughs> But um, that means why why I do think that this kind of uh, research is very important to be done is because this is the only way we can understand the issue, understand the problem, and try to figure out how to tackle it, right? So I'm really optimistic and I'm looking forward to... I've actually uh, got interested in, in reading up uh, on, on this issue because it's it's... It's really, really fascinating. So, yeah, that's that's how and why fake news seem to be working in general. No one cares about the debunking part. I think you would love the book, uh, The Political Brain, The Role of Emotion in Deciding the Fate of the Nation. It's from 2007. Um, it's by Drew Weston. Okay. Uh, he's a psychologist from Harvard, and um, he writes about the Bush-Al Gore campaign. Mm-hmm. And he also mentions Clinton's campaign and and uh, others, but he mainly focuses on Bush Al Gore. And uh, it's really really cool how he analyzes the voters of, of each of these groups. Okay. And and, and he determines like uh, the emotional connection the candidates have made and how important it is to make an emotional connection. But that also kind of makes you very blind to truth and to to correcting any or any kind of self-correction or realizing that person that you actually like lied to you. Yeah, yeah, 
This uh, this resonates well with uh, mistakes were made as well because there's a lot of I I do think that it can be the origin of f- fear from admitting that you did something wrong because you probably think or you probably feel that people will not remember you correcting yourself people will only remember you making that mistake or or, or doing something wrong uh, but I may be just uh, over speculating this. I don't know. I don't know. I think people are, are more afraid of admitting they're they're wrong because they don't want to admit that they were wrong. They don't want to admit that they have made a mistake. Yeah. So they're not afraid that the people will, will forget they've corrected themselves. They're afraid that people will remember that they have corrected themselves, which means that they were wrong before. Oh, yeah. To correct themselves. And being wrong means you're stupid. Yeah. 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 That's a false premise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. No, I, I think it's so, so important to stress that to young people and students uh, to realize that being wrong is absolutely normal, absolutely fine, absolutely natural. None of us are born perfect. We can't know everything. And so being wrong is part of the process of learning. And and the development of science. Yeah. Like how we got from flat Earth to a round Earth, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and how did we get from round Earth to flat Earth? That's what I want to yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that. Yeah, that's a, that's a different thing. So there's this really really um, cool Facebook uh, page I didn't know about. Thank you, Andras. It's called uh, What If. Welcome. And it analyzes what if scenarios of different uh, beliefs or or conspiracy theories. And this particular video focuses on what if flat earthers were right. Uh, what I really liked about this video is that they uh, took the basic presumptions that flat earthers hold. And they applied it to what we, what Earth would look like if that those presumptions were true. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes those kind of presumptions uh, go against each other, so they always have to choose one and then, go, uh, then later work with another one. But uh, they started off with gravity. That um, if the Earth actually was flat, we would have gravity, but it would be in the center of the Earth pancake. Um, and I uh, love the word earth pancake, and I'll yeah. be using that instead of flat earth. Uh, and that, which would mean that uh, we wouldn't, uh, if we would kind of distance ourselves from the center of earth, we would end up kind of lying down on our faces uh, by the edges if we would ever get to them. So it would be impossible to reach the edge of the earth. Mm-hmm. Then they focus on what would, how would flat earth function in space? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, the sun uh, could not orbit the way it orbits. And now here we have a little bit of an issue because some flat earthers say that the sun is a globe while the others say it's kind of like a reflector. So if we go with the premise that the sun is a globe, a globe-shaped celestial object, uh, we would have to, we couldn't have any time zones. And if we wouldn't have time zones, we wouldn't have jet lag. Thus, we could say that the existence of jet lag means that the earth is round which is the weirdest argument I ever thought I would have to make. But there we are. <laughs> um, so there wouldn't be any night and day in that case because all parts of the Earth would be eliminated simultaneously. Mm, um, yep. Uh, and also the sun would have to be much, much smaller. But still, it would most likely burn us to a crisp because we wouldn't have uh, a geomagnetic field. And without that, we don't have an atmosphere. And without that, the sun rays would kill us in a higher speed, depending on how close the sun would be and how large it would be. Uh, and we wouldn't be protected from any kind of cosmic rays. And most importantly, we would not have air. So 
so far, it doesn't look so good for the aft flat earthers or the uh, flat pan- or the earth pancakers. But even if we imagine that there would be an atmosphere somehow, we would be interesting that everyone's shadow would be the same length at the same time of day, no matter where they were. Again, because of the sun uh, shining on everyone the same way. But there would be no satellites, which would mean uh, no synchronized time, uh, no ATMs, no credit cards. <laughs> but the highlight would be that the Burj Khalifa in Dubai would be visible from every point of the earth. Really? Wow, that's amazing. So, and then I got into the comments section. <laughs> Oh dear, why do you do this to yourself, Claire? <laughs> and no, I have to say, I saw the best ever argument for why the Earth is flat that I've ever seen in my life. Right. Um, I kind of read up on this a lot, so I was quite surprised. Maybe for some of you, it might be a known concept. But the fact that bees can fly means there's no gravity, and thus the Earth is flat. But I don't follow. Well, because gravity doesn't exist and we're weighed down by our own weight. That means that's why we humans stick to the Earth. But yeah. bees are light, so they can fly. But they fly not because they lie. Yeah, and, and, and then in that kind of logic, airplanes couldn't fly either. So, I mean, it's it, it's not tight, <laughs> it's not tight logic. <laughs> oh, dear me, dear. But it was, yeah, you know, I kind of just, I didn't comment on anything. I just kind of glanced through what yeah. was going on there and yeah I bet, uh, the, I bet the dude who left that, left that comment was well pleased with himself oh yeah i know it just went all, all crazy down from there and it, i think the word idiot was already in the second comment so <laughs> oh god <laughs> yeah so uh the flatter theory is interesting i've seen a couple of videos from the conference that they had uh earlier this year and uh read a couple of articles and Generally, uh, it seems to be that people who believe in the flat earth theory have previously believed in other conspiracy theories and then have later added this onto onto, uh, their conspiracy theory list. Mm -hmm. And what I found really interesting in the videos from the conference was how many people said that they were looking for community to join. They were looking for friends. They felt lonely. So, and I was thinking, well, if that was taking up context, that could have been any kind of, like, skeptic conference. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's, the, that's the human nature. They always yeah, want to no, I'm, I'm joking, of course. But, yeah. <laughs> no, so, no, the flatter theory, uh, it's interesting how quickly it's spreading. Um, and globally, it's, uh, it's, yeah, I think it's spreading much faster than the 9-11 troopers or, or such other theories. It's... Yeah, it's quite yeah. cool. I mean, yeah. it, from a from a point of view of studying it uh, as a conspiracy theory, not the not the point of view that people actually do believe believe in this. Oh, but it, uh, it's it's really quite a good video, and and I really recommend everyone to see it. And we'll uh, link it um, among the show notes. Yeah, you will. You can follow the link and find out how really cool that is. But the but, but the Earth pancake sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard of the earth pizza, so now it's the earth pancake. Earth, yeah. yeah, the pancake is, be- is better. Yeah. But what I really don't get about this and the, the, the flat earthers, uh, the, their mindset is, so why do you need this feeling that this, this, this kind of knowledge or pseudo-knowledge that the earth is flat and, and why does it d- give you satisfaction? It's, it's something that I cannot wrap my head around. It's... 
I think a lot of people just feel that they understand mm-hmm. the science better, or it's kind of it makes them feel more comfortable yeah. than being on a round sphere that they that we're all on a tray. Because you know, being on a round sphere means that some people are upside down some of the time, and I guess that can be scary for some. <laughs> some. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think they they believe they discovered the truth. You know, they, and they if they're looking for the truth, and everybody else is wrong. Yeah. That makes them feel good. Okay. Could be. <laughs> yeah, talking about videos and online videos. Uh, do you know who Pamela Geller is? Yes. Yeah, you do? I think so. I think I've heard that name before. She's a blogger and um, she's she's her? really uh, she's famous for being anti-Muslim. She keeps um, blogging about the migrants, uh, the migrant crime, the migrant crisis ah, of, yes. of Europe and yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. And uh, recently, she posted um, a video where allegedly there uh, you can see Muslim immigrants are um, destroying a, a car in Italy, and not just one car. It's a car of uh, it's a police car. It's uh, what is it called? Originally in Italian, it's called Arma dei Carabinieri. So it's not just just a simple crime of destroying a car, but they are destroying a car of the Carabinieri, which is complete and utter heresy. It's absolutely unacceptable. The only problem with that is that uh, that video uh, has been... So obviously the argument is that, look, these Muslim immigrants who come into um, uh, Italy are destroying our properties, are destroying our lives, they are ruining everything around us, and it's totally unacceptable. And it's no wonder that it's been circulating lately, because um, the the elections, general elections of Italy are coming up, and obviously there is a very strong anti-immigrant sentiment in the country. And this is why we will probably see the resurgence of... Uh, a well-known politician called Silvio Berlusconi. He will not... Oh, are you serious? Yes, I am serious. I am serious. Uh, He will not be able to become prime minister again because because of the, the, the criminal cases against him. But he can become as powerful as he used to be because he could easily end up uh, putting someone in the chair. And... uh, that would be interesting. But without getting further and deeper into uh, Italian politics, I'd just like to uh, point out that um, that was part of an actual film. Uh, the, the, the drama uh, was called Mediterranea. That was the title of the, of the film, uh, shot in 2015. And uh, a bystander took this camera shot of the, the shooting of that film. And that started circulating as real migrants. And then a funny thing about that is there are uh, movie equipments seen on the left side of the the picture. And it's still not enough for a lot of people to spot that it is completely fake. It's, 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 It's acted out as as part of a film. So it's just a scene from a movie. And these small details do not pan out for for a lot of people who want to believe that that's an actual assault in progress that someone filmed. So 
that is quite interesting. And I came across that um, on Snopes. So they debunked the whole, the whole thing. The first debunking of that was done by Media Matters, by the way. It's um, MediaMatters.org, where they uh, debunked Pamela Geller's video. But now, now we've gotten ourselves in a little bit of a pickle. What do you mean? Because um, on the moon landing footage, we're trying to convince everyone that there's no film equipment to be seen. Ah. And now... We're trying to convince uh, people that there is film equipment to be seen on this footage. <laughs> mm. I'm sure someone's going to use that as some kind of a uh, way to uh, try to defend that that footage as actually real and not film footage. You know what? We're just going to wait, uh, wait it out and see <laughs> if that actually happens. If no one comes <laughs> up with it, then we just uh, simply get away with the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... Actually, the next item I want to talk about would be Pontus's favorite item. Oh, Pontus is not here with us. Sad face. Yes. And this item is all about measles epidemic in Europe. Bad news. Uh, the uh, measles is spreading. It's not slowing down. The latest article uh, on BBC News, which was dated 20th February, a couple of days ago, it's just reporting more of, of the same, so the number of cases is growing. Cases increased fourfold with more than 20,000 people affected across Europe. And that was that's increase happened from 2016 when there was only 5,000, over 5,000 cases. And there were 35 deaths. It's not a laughing matter, unfortunately. This is what it's cost, the, this anti-vaccination movement. And... Um, 15 European region countries, including the UK, had large outbreaks. So we can include the UK into this uh, now as well. I think when Pontus was reporting on it, um, the biggest outbreaks were elsewhere. Some other countries were, you mentioned Italy, Romania, etc. But now UK is also one of those countries. Um, I think I'm vaccinated, but maybe <laughs> I, should I should check it with my mother. <laughs> Uh, just in case. <clears throat> well, so, yeah, so the experts say exactly what uh, what I mentioned, that people shunning vaccination, uh, which is obviously po po posing a problem. And um, measles, is, the problem is also the measles is highly infectious, viral illness that can be deadly and it spreads really quickly. A couple of stats for you guys, which, again, Pontus would have appreciated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 15 countries had large outbreaks of measles last year, um, 282 cases in UK, 5,562 cases in Romania, which actually makes me feel a bit better about UK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor Romania though, right? And the WHO organization reporting that there's have been a steady decline in overall routine immunization coverage. Um, as well as consistently low coverage among some uh, marginalized groups, um, and also interruptions in vaccine supply. So that's all contributing to the uh, low rates and the outbreaks. So um, the latest figures for the UK, or some of the UK areas, um, are reporting back to January 18, which is last month, there were 51 confirmed cases in West Midlands, so don't go there. <laughs> mm. Um, and obviously the rest of the 200 and odd cases spread elsewhere. It seems to be like a concentration. And 
the, the, of course, the saddest thing about the whole thing is that it's, it should be completely naturally preventable because there's vaccine available. Um, and uh, the WHO organization reports that UK has only got 91.6% immunized and to reach herd immunity, we need to be 95% immunized. So there's a, obviously a, a, a clear problem there. So... Um, I'm sure uh, when Pontus is back on the show, he'll probably report more about this because it's getting worse and then the case is increasing exponentially. Um, and um, I would ju- I'll just mention quickly Romania. It's fighting its worst measles outbreak in decades um, and with a five and a half thousand cases um, last year. Their uh, reason for that is mixed. So they, there's it's due short, partly to a shortage of the vaccine, vaccine and uh, partly poor to healthcare facilities. And um, also some of the contributors, um, it, it is thought to be the large Roma population there who often live in severe poverty and uh, uh, are at particular risk of contracting, spreading the virus. Italy, of course, that's been mentioned again in the past, had the second highest number of measles cases in Europe last year. So was it uh, was it due to the high number of immigrants from uh, different African and other countries? Italy. In it, it, Italy. Possibly it doesn't say anything on here, so I don't want to be commenting. Mm-hmm. But okay, uh, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. They have five thousand cases just behind Romania, um, and then the third one on the list, the big one, is Ukraine with with four over four thousand seven hundred cases. Um, the rest of the country is not as high, I'm saying not as high, but still around 1,000 cases in Greece, 1,000 in Germany. Um, so the list is pretty large and now UK is on there and they're not even last on, on the list. So um, we're not proud to be on that list. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like, you know, I'd like to see some good news about it at some point very shortly just because of the danger of this disease and uh, you know, reported 35 deaths. I know that several European countries are taking um, actions and introducing legislation and uh, uh, trying to raise awareness of uh, mandatory vaccination. I'm hoping the tide will, t- will turn soon, but until then, we'll just keep reporting on it, I guess. Well, we yeah. just uh, should give a shout out to Vidiu Kovacu in Romania. I mean, him and his rationalist society, I know they're, they're battling terrible numbers. And, yeah. But well, so I wonder if maybe they're working hard. Yeah. And uh, we should probably invite uh, Ovidio back to, uh, back on the show because since he was on, it was a long, long time ago, uh, I'm pretty sure he would have a lot um, to update us on. Because yeah, the- yeah. So just to see whether the things are heading to the right direction from where he's standing, because yeah. obviously we're seeing yeah. these reports he gave a re- that are getting worse by month. He gave a pretty good lecture, a pretty, pretty good talk. He uh, did, and it was very hopeful. The skeptics' progress, yeah. But I think yeah. we all agree that the, the issue of tackling the issue starts with actually understanding the problem. And this is what uh, I read about on science-based medicine recently. Uh, about two weeks ago, uh, Scott Gavura uh, published an article uh, on science-based medicine uh, on how and the anti-vaccination sentiment is associated with belief in conspiracy theories. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, that is pretty interesting, and and that kind of research that he uh, and he cites a, a lot of different articles, uh, scientific public uh, publications, and other articles from uh, science-based medicine as well, 
and uh, he goes through. I'm not. I'm not gonna uh, uh, sort through and and run through all the, the the different statements. It's an article well worth reading uh, because it's unbelievable how many different things it's connected to, and the, the belief in different different um, conspiracy theories can really be connected. So there is a correlation. And uh, probably even a causation, uh, because it somehow makes sense, uh, because the it stems um, and the anti-vaccination sentiment somewhat stems from um, conspiracy theory that there is this um, intergovernmental force that wants us to to become ill, and there is big pharma and. It's all full of crap. It's all full of anti, um, oh, sorry, conspiracy theories, and it's a very thorough kind of study that he cites. But that means that whenever we approach the anti-vaccination movement, we have to think about all the different, the other different um, levels of connection of it to to other beliefs. Because otherwise we will not be able to tackle it. Otherwise we will not be able to find the root of it and get rid of that problem that cause that that the the whole thing stems from. And uh, that's why I keep emphasizing how important it is to follow these pieces of research, because that's the only way for us to understand how to approach people with these kinds of beliefs in their minds. And when it comes to anti-vaccination, you can probably dismiss the argument that we need to debunk different conspiracy theories because of it not being necessarily harmful. But when you think about the ramifications of that and how, as a result of all that and that kind of belief system... Uh, you can turn into an anti-vaccination activist. That is definitely harmful for for the society as a whole. And uh, that's why we need to do something about that. But first, we have to understand Yeah, that. If I can put in my two cents as a student of different religions. Oh. <laughs> so of... Uh... Generally, like the anti-vax movement, the flat earth movement, uh, these movements, or even not believing in the moon landing, these ideas have one common thing, and that's rejection of mainstream authority. Yeah. And uh, that kind of, once you reject mainstream authority, you just start believing all the kind of alternative authorities that mm-hmm. that uh, kind of mass around you. So it's completely logical that once you start, um, for example, with the anti-vax movement, because you're in a... I don't know, baby club, and someone else tells you that, you know, and they're using uh, fear-mongering and they appeal to emotions. And, and of course, we are all, you know, more emotional when it comes to offsprings. Oh, yeah. Just uh, once you kind of start on there, it's kind of a slippery, slippery slope onto uh, all kinds of other uh, beliefs. Yeah. Yes. Even yes, now, the, the, it's coming back, the rejection of the Holocaust, that, you know, that, I mean, Holocaust denial. That's, to me, so unbelievable. Yeah. You know, and or you know, saying that the Las Vegas shooting happened also because you know it was staged by someone, and the survivors are getting death threats for pretending or pretending to be survivors. 
just yeah, completely crazy things, and it all and this, it's just all kind of conflates together, and it grows out of proportion. Yeah. So my point was that when we try to speak with these people, we tend to use arguments like the the data from the CDC or official government numbers of mm-hmm. how the measles are spreading, and uh, we somehow think that those arguments, because uh, they work for us, were, will work for the for them as well. But these numbers for them are all fake. They don't mean anything to them. Yeah. So I think uh, what we really have to do is connect on the level on which they became believers, and that's the emotional one, and try to kind of connect as human beings first, and then um, enter into a discussion of, of uh, problematic topics later. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can still do our our, our thing. We can stay, still try to educate people, and we can try to put, put the information out and... Uh... Yeah, one of the ways to do that is uh, Wikipedia and editing Wikipedia articles to make sure that when people try to find out about the pieces of information that they hear on a certain TV show or something uh, depicting a con- or, or, or explaining a conspiracy, then they will find proper information. And one person who does that with a whole bunch of other people as a group, an international group, is Susan Gerbic, who's amazing. And uh, she's recently been here in Europe, I hear. Yes, yes, she has been here. So she had a wonderful tour in September uh, of all around Europe. Uh, Susan Gerbic's Skeptical Adventures in Europe. Again, Andras was taking part of them as uh, of a large part of them as well. So I'm sure he yeah. will correct me if I make a mistake. <laughs> so, so far on psychop.org, she published four of uh, her five stories. And in each of them, she talks about her experiences, um, especially culture shocks. Uh, and she makes room for each organization she visited. Uh, she gives her the background of the organization and their history. Uh, so her first stop uh, was in, uh, in, or the first part of her four so far four-part series is Scandinavia, and her first stop was in Oslo, Norway, uh, where she really enjoyed the mellowness, I would say, uh, of uh, Nor- uh, Norwegian people and the strength of the human- humanist association there, and. Uh, She did an interview with Mart Simonsen, who we've already mentioned before, and it was on the show as well, who is, uh, by the way, an also another awesome woman in science. Oh, yeah. And uh, then she moved on to Sweden, where uh, she mentions, of course, Pontus, who's not here today, unfortunately. And uh, she talks about how pseudoscience is an issue in both Norway and Sweden, even though there are a little bit less of the kind of traditional paranormal beliefs. And that's something to say when the Norwegian princess believes in angels and that she can speak to them. (laughs) And I also found an article on EXO uh, from 2006, seven, about uh, the Norwegian princess claiming to speak to horses. So that's a new one for me. Oh, she's Um, a horse whisperer? Wow. Yeah. I mean, once you do one thing, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Once you can speak to angels, you can speak to anyone. Oh, yeah. Because angels can speak to animals as well. Yeah. Exactly. Then she moved on, moves on to Denmark, uh, which is mainly an atheist country from uh, from what she learned. 
And she was uh, hosted by Klaus Larsen, who gave her a wonderful tour of Copenhagen. And what she suggests at, at the end of part one is that uh, European groups should coordinate uh, visiting speakers such as herself, <laughs> which is kind of funny because that's exactly what we've been talking about uh, at EXO is uh, when we when there's a speaker visiting, visiting one country, maybe do some cooperation to make it yeah. a little bit cheaper for other organizations involved. So great minds think alike. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and just just mentioning that uh, Klaus Larsen was on our show as well. Oh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> so the next part, she talks about uh, visiting the European Skeptics Congress uh, by visiting Prague and Wroclaw. She uh, main, um, talks about how she enjoyed the uh, how she was surprised and enjoyed the variety of speakers that we there were speakers who were actually religious be- believers, which to her was a new thing. And she, of course, gives a big shout out to the GSOW, which absolutely deserves it for, as you just we were talking about Wikipedia and about the great work that's being done on there. And uh, then in her third part, she talks about uh, her visit to Germany and Switzerland. This is a part of the trip Andras was already uh, active, very active part on. Oh, yeah. Guide, uh, tr- interpreter, chauffeur as well. <laughs> Organizer, yeah. Organizer, of course, yeah. These very, very important things. With all respect to Susan, uh, most Americans need uh, someone to help them out with all the European languages that we have here. <laughs> uh, and of course, she gives a huge shout out to Andras and she thanks him profusely and says how amazing he is, which is, of course, something we already know. Yelena better than me because she work, gets to work with him all the time, of course. That's why she knows what the truth is about this. Um, <laughs> and she knows that it's the complete opposite. <laughs> Isn't that right, Yelena? Uh, yes, I can confirm. <laughs> See, wonderful. <laughs> She's uh, shocked, uh, well, she was shocked uh, at first by the abundance of homeopathy in Germany. Mm. But uh, she really enjoyed her trip to the European uh, Space Eng- Eng- Agency Mission Control, which was liaisoned by Ludmir Babura uh, from Bulgaria. And uh, uh, at the end, uh, the part three ends with her visiting Switzerland, giving a talk uh, in Zurich. And she mentions the Denkfest, which is a wonderful festival, which I haven't been to yet, but I look really forward to visiting because everyone says it's so, so amazing. Of course, that would be a logical fallacy, the bandwagon, but you you get my point, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So in part four... Uh, is her uh, time? She, uh, is the time she had in Italy at the Chica Fest? Uh, she talks a lot about Piero Angela, who is something like the Bill Nye of Italy, mm. and about the wonderful work he has done throughout the years. Uh, he's going to be ninety this year. He was born in nineteen twenty-eight. So, wow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he's another great testament to if you use your brain a lot, you will live longer. <laughs> And uh, of course, we can't. Um, uh, I cannot leave out the comment that the Pope made sure to uh, end his talk on time, right at the be- uh, right before Susan started her talk at the Chica Festival. Oh yeah. So that was very considered considerate <laughs> of uh, Pope Francis to do that. So that was a really kind of brief uh, overview of her four part series. They're uh, they're really wonderful, wonderful kind of uh, uh, not diary notations, but a really nice kind of journal of her trip here and I didn't want to put in too many spoilers but I really recommend everyone to give it a read. Yeah. And uh, Susan Susan writes uh, in a way that you you can actually 
try, you know, obviously, because I was there. Uh, it's easy for me to imagine <laughs> what it was like, because I, I, I only need to remember. But uh, there are other parts that I haven't been a part of. And uh, the way she writes about them is is very picturesque. And, and you can actually imagine the situation and you feel like um, almost being there. And I really like that about her writings. Yeah, I liked about like um in the part about Sweden. She writes just like a little note. And by the way, Swedish people eat everything on pizza. <laughs> They put everything <laughs> on pizza. <laughs> yeah. Let me mention the the fact that she recently has been um among others. Uh, there were six people elected fellows of CSI. Um on the website of which these articles were published. And the fifth one will be available as well there very soon, I believe. And, uh, yeah, um, our wonderful Deborah Hyde and our, our also wonderful Susan Gerbic were among the, the newly elected fellows. So congratulations, Susan. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the fifth part of your series. Yes, absolutely. And I should mention that the fifth part actually is happening in Andras's home country of Hungary and then uh, goes on to Bulgaria. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and um, that was this part where a part of Italy where we met um, another really awesome guy. Not only Piero Angela, who's a massive superstar in, in um, Italy, but um, the president of CICAP, uh, current president of CICAP, Massimo Polidoro as well. And, well, we already saw him in Prague and uh, yeah. in we were Yeah, we were stalking him. Yeah. Uh, kind <laughs> of him and Randy. <laughs> yeah. Because Randy was there at Chickup Fest also. So, yeah, we were definitely stalking him. And Massimo did a very cool thing. And he has a, a great number of followers. And he is uh, going to launch a YouTube series about uh, different uh, mysteries and uh, and different um, con artists and that kind of stuff. And he did a survey whether his followers would like a YouTube series or a podcast instead. And the result of that survey was that uh, his audience wants a YouTube series. So that's what he's going to do, as he promised. And by the way... On CSI's website, he has a very good article on myths and secrets of the Colosseum, which is also the title of his recent book. By recent, I mean he wrote it about two years ago, because the latest book of his is uh, also published uh, um, already, and it's about the Vatican, which is uh, another very intriguing topic. But uh, I'm very proud that I have a signed copy of that book, The Secrets, Myth and Secrets of the Colosseum. I just uh, need to work on my Italian to be able to read it. Yeah, I was about to ask that. Um, I was looking at that book and I, I think it's only in Italian so far, right? Yes, it is. It is. It is. But this article uh, that he wrote uh, explains a lot of it in English. So oh, that's okay. That's wonderful. That's then. pretty good. Yeah. All right, I think um, I think that has been all that uh, we wanted to cover in terms of news for this week. Uh, so we are skipping 
um, really wrong right now because our very own Pontus is somewhere out in Europe that he has some skiing to do. Uh, and uh, I, I'm just hoping that he's going to get back home in one piece and we'll be able to to have him back uh, for the next episode. But that means that the show is almost over. Uh, first of all, if uh, our, our listeners think that uh, something is missing, uh, we missed something this week, we, we probably uh, skipped a couple of interesting pieces of news that uh, that were out there please let us know or if something is happening that is worth mentioning please let us know as well yeah you can get in touch with us by emailing us the email address is info at the esp.eu um, you can also tweet at us in our twitter handle is espodcast underscore eu uh, follow us on facebook of course uh, send us direct message on there or um, go on our website, theesp.eu, and complete the form there. Also, if you get our podcast on iTunes, uh, please uh, leave us a nice review, as it helps uh, our ranking. Yes, yes, yes. And that means that we have nothing else to do but to listen to a quote. So, Yelena, would you like to hit us with one? Today's quote came from Hungarian biochemist and Nobel laureate, Albert St. Georgi. St. Georgi. Albert St. Georgi. He said, the essence of the scientific method is that it deals with problems as such, and thus it seeks solutions without prejudice or chauvinism. The question we ask is not who's right, but what the truth is. Ah. That, that might be what, that might be what the, the flat earthers are asking. Oh, yeah. But I really like that. And uh, he was the only Nobel laureate, Hungarian Nobel laureate, who got the Nobel Prize for research done in Hungary and not outside of Hungary. Right. Um, most of most of the others were doing their research in, in the US, obviously. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, most of the yeah, things happen in the US. <laughs> for vitamin C, okay. by the way. Oh. Yeah, he was, he was the one who isolated our vitamin C for the first time. That's so cool. I, I had no idea, but yeah. Yeah. has never been my strong suit. <laughs> All that means that the show is coming to an end now. Yalana and Claire, thank you very much for joining me today. And especially you, Claire, for sitting in for Pontus. Yeah, thanks for coming, Claire. It's been so much fun to have you around. Thank you. It was really a, a real honor to be here. And uh, I hope I did uh, Pontus's place justice. Absolutely. I, I have to say. Yeah, we didn't trust you with a really wrong segment. But uh, yeah, um, other than that, you, you, did, <laughs> you did great. But we, we, we've agreed. We've agreed. That it's, <laughs> it, it was a good decision to leave it alone for Pontus to cover <laughs> yeah absolutely and I'm like a test substitute and maybe next time I'll get some more responsibility <laughs> yeah oh yeah true you have to work your way out we should we should have a next time <laughs> absolutely absolutely and I would also like to thank our listeners for tuning in and until next week goodbye goodbye bye bye This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. 
join us again next time. But until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. So we still haven't mentioned that Claire is a president, just in case, that Claire is a president of the European Skeptics Congress. So that's quite... Uh, um, European Council of Skeptical Organizations. Sorry, European... <laughs> yeah, she we keeps, still, she keeps making that mistake, me- though. <laughs> we still haven't mentioned that Claire is the president of European Council of Skeptics. Try again. The European Council <laughs> of Skeptical Organizations. <laughs> we still haven't mentioned that Claire is the president of the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, which is quite a, quite a thing that we should be advertising. Now, now. I am a little bit... Worried that by the time you release this episode, it's no longer going to be this week. So, (laughs) but I will talk about it. And that was the the segue to your item, Claire. Oh, oh yeah, thank you. (laughs)